Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Hey, we're talking about giving to greatness today, so I hope you wore your steel-toe shoes. All right, I'll explain in a little bit. This is the best, worst sermon topic of the year. And so with that, our theme is good to great for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. The mini-series is called From Good to Great with 2020 Vision. And when I talk about good to great, it's easy to get buy-in. Nobody wants to, to stand against something going from good to great. If you're on a team, you want it to go from good to great. If you have a business, you're, you're happy for it to go good to great. In the church, everybody's excited. Hey, we could go, it's good now, but to think that it could be great, wow, everybody's in. Easy to get buy-in emotionally and mentally. But physically and sacrificially, often that's where the difficult com difficulty comes in. For a team, maybe you're on a football team, it requires sacrifice on every coach, every player sacrifice to move it from good to great if you're in a business it requires sacrifice from every employee i i read here recently uh um somebody was doing a uh, an evaluation a business evaluation he was doing it of nasa and while in nasa uh they were talking about the slogan the theme of what their business stood for and he was walking down the hallway from one meeting to another and there was a, an older black gentleman who was mopping the floor. And he walked up to him and he said, excuse me, sir, what do you do here at NASA? His answer was amazing. He said, I put people on the moon. Why? You see, he understood every detail, every single person that's a part of that organization has to be committed to the ultimate goal. And he saw his job not simply cleaning floors and restrooms, but being an active part of putting people on the moon. And I want you to know today, you have that same kind of position to play. The only difference is we ain't putting people on the moon. We're putting people far above the moon. What we do as a kingdom in the kingdom agenda as a church is we are a part of God rescuing lost people destined and determined to go to hell and setting them on a path destined and determined to spend eternity in the presence of God in a place very real called heaven. Now, when we think about it that way, that's our part. And no matter what you do, you can play part of that. So the, the, the problem is every single person, tell your neighbor he's talking to you, has to make an intentional, deliberate decision whether or not we will sacrifice to accomplish God's agenda. It's a personal decision. You can choose not to. You can choose to. But you must make a decision. Now, what is this decision about? What are we giving to greatness? Here it is. We're going to build a building right outside that wall in that field next to this one. And it's going to have a worship center that will seat about 750 people. And on the far end, it's going to have a preschool and a children's wing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to have a large gathering area, and it's going to cost us probably a little over $4 million. $4 million is a lot of money for me. $4 million is a lot of money for you. $4 million is absolutely nothing to the God who created and has given it all. And that's what we need to understand. We need to get back to what I've preached many, many times, big God, little me. And when we get that and we find out what part of his bigness he wants to uh, deploy in us, then all of a sudden great things become smaller because they're all under the fingerprints of a great big God. Now when we talk about building a building, sometimes people ask questions that I don't want you, I want you to know the answer to and I want you not to ask, not to ask them anymore. At least not in my presence. Here's one. Well, I just don't know why we need to build a building. I mean, we've still got empty seats in here. If you've ever thought that, stop thinking that, okay? You're building for now. You're thinking of now. I'm not thinking of tomorrow. God's not thinking. Uh, I'm thinking of tomorrow. God's not thinking of now. He's thinking of tomorrow. And I'm going to show you in a little while why it's imperative that we know where we're going. I want you to know why it is we're going to do what God wants us to do. You may be one of those that say, well, I just don't like a big church. Well, you ain't going to heaven then. It's going to be huge. 
Okay, you can choose the other place then because heaven's going to be a huge church and it's not all going to look like us. Okay, it's going to be very diverse and beautiful. And you say, well, I just, I don't want to be a part of a big church and I think this church is big enough. I don't care what you think about the size of the church and you shouldn't care what I think about the size of the church. We should all only care about what he thinks because it's his church. Amen. It's not your church. Tell your neighbor it's not yours. Now look at the preacher and say, well, it's not yours either. You know, you were thinking that. Okay. I own that. I've said all along, if God would give us a hundred, I'd be happy with a hundred. It's easy. If God wants to give us a thousand, it's his. I do, it, whatever he wants it to be. And that should be the prayer of our heart and the motivation of our life is for the church to be what God wants it to be. And so for some of us, we don't really understand or haven't experienced the change that's happened in the last five years. Because most of us, almost all of us, have been here less than five years. Almost all of us, okay? Myself included. Been here just a little over five years. And so I, I want to I do a little timeline because it's important that we tell this story. It's important that we never forget what God has been doing because it builds our faith and drives our motivation to see what he will do in the future because he is about building his church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's doing it here, and I'm excited, and you should be too. We have a lot of reason to be excited about the church. We have a lot of reasons to be motivated to give and sacrifice for what God wants to do tomorrow in his church. So let's just recap it. Five and a half years ago, there were about 60 people here meeting regularly. Last Sunday, we had 469. We average over 400 in weekly attendance. So that's what, that's what it looks like in, in headcount, okay? Moving forward, a little over five years ago, the revenue stream, the offering, the giving was about $1,500 a week. Dr. Ed Anderson gave me a, a budget for 2014. He said it's $78,000. Or 2015, he said $78,000, okay, for the year. $1,500 a week, $78,000 a year. Today, the average is about $15,000 a week. This year, we've given about $750,000, okay? Now, I'm telling you, that God's fingerprints are on this. You, you don't have to be a church wizard to know it. Statistically, the church of America is plateaued and declining, and for some reason, God is whispering on this hill, 904, Dry Gap Pike, doing a thing that only he can do. It's not me. It's not you. It's a God thing. He's just allowing us to be a part of this amazing thing he's doing. Now, here's a beautiful one. Five years ago, we owed $511,000. A half a million dollars was our debt mortgage for 15 acres, this building, and its assets. Today, zero. Goose egg. We don't, owe, we don't owe 50 cents to anybody. Yeah. We don't owe for credit card. We don't owe KUB. I got paid last week. Nobody owes me. Okay. God is doing something miraculously, miraculous and enormous in the life of our church. And so let's break it on down a little further. Why am I excited? Why am I going to give? Why should you be excited? Why should you desire to sacrifice and give? First of all, preschool and children. Let's look at that one just for a second to look at the fingerprints of God. This is preschool through kindergarten, okay? Preschool through kindergarten, a newborn to kindergarten, okay? Here's what it looks like. Five years ago, there were about five or six children. I was told it had been over a year since a bed baby or preschooler had even visited the church, okay? There was no preschool, and there was about five or six children. That's what it looked like, Okay? Today, we'll have about 100. This is fertile ground. Listen, young families, more than ever, are realizing that the moral fiber of our culture is going in the wrong direction. And they look up and they realize that God has placed an institution called the Church of Jesus Christ here to come alongside families and help them and encourage them and help them train their children to push back and understand that there's a real enemy and, 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 and yet God holds out <clears throat> hope and grace and victory. And that's what the church is doing. Young families are getting that. That's the reason last week we dedicated 12 babies. That's the reason two weeks ago Dustin Daniels had Owen, a miracle baby. That's the reason this week uh, Brian and Alyssa Courtney had their baby. You know what her name is? Tibbity. 
Have you ever heard that name before? Have you? I hadn't. You know how you spell it? TBD. I, I texted him. I said, I'm going to put it in the bulletin. What's her name? He sent back TBD, to be determined. I said, Brian, it ain't like she just snuck up on you. I've been, I've been seeing her for about four months. I've been seeing this little girl like this. Okay, no name. Still no name. Okay. Yeah. Now, now listen to this. We've got two due in February, one due in April. Last week I found out about one that's due in about July. And I was excited about it. I went and told somebody. My wife said, are you sure that's public knowledge? I don't know. So I went back to the daddy. I said, is this public knowledge? He said, yeah. I said, whoo, good. <laughs> he said, what if I would have said no? I said, I would have said, your secret is safe with me. <laughs> okay. I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, God is doing something. He's stirring it. He's making things happen. Now, now not only that, when a, when, a, when, a, when, a, when a mother gets out of the hospital with her baby, they get four days of meals. I call it baby mama meals. And, and Missy looks after that. I mean, it, it, it's happening. It's a beautiful thing that's going on. And we're going to provide a space for them because we have annexed about every little room we have in this building. If we're not careful, we're going to have two or three over here in the broom closet. Okay? It's growing, and we're going to provide a space for them. And down at the far end of the new building, there'll be a whole corridor for preschool with a worship center on the end. There'll be a whole corridor for children with its own worship center at the end. It's going to be amazing and beautiful and state-of-the-art and attractive. It'll be, it'll be user-friendly for Mother's Day out and daycare. We're going to build that starting just after Easter in 2020. And I'm going to be a part of it, and you're going to be a part of it. Amen? That's what I thought you should say. All right? Now, let's keep moving. Let's move on up the chain. Youth department. Just a few years ago, there were a few youth. I'll tell you about one of them in particular. He told the, our previous worship pastor, he was giving him some instrument instruction, and he asked a question. And, and the, the worship pastor that was giving the instruction, he said, um, you ought to go talk to Pastor Joel about that. And he goes, yeah, I'm not going to talk to him. Now, this kid's this youth, young kid. He goes, why not? He said, I'm not making this up. He said, because he works for, and he, John said, works for who? He goes, John said, the pastor works for the devil. He said, that's what my mom said. <laughs> but just so you'll know, they're gone now. Pastor, the devil ran them off, okay, I guess. Now, now that, that's what it looked like. That was the complexion of our youth part of it, okay. And it's not that way anymore, okay. Just this weekend, Clark and Kelsey and their team took about 40 people to, uh, to Hearts on Fire in Pigeon Forge. And one of them got saved. And it was a good trip. You know, it was a great trip. You know how I know it was a great trip? Manuel, my uh, foreign exchange grandson over here, uh, he whacked his head, had to go get two staples. You say, how is that a success? He's here. He's not lame. Just a couple staples. Bloodshed on a youth trip creates energy. Okay? And, and so, so, right, and I mean, I'm, look at this. This is ridiculous. I mean, I love y'all. It's beautiful. Y'all are awesome. Okay? We had to build them a space. It's right behind this wall. And it's already too small, okay? And it's a, they have an amazing space right there. A year from now, they'll probably have 100 kids. So our youth is on fire, and it takes leadership with a passion for Jesus, a passion for students, and a passion to being where the students are and getting in their life, and it's happening. Okay, so Kendra and I, all along the ministry chain, we have this expression. We'd, we'd be doing something, felt like God wanted us to do something, and it would seem like it would maybe floundering. It's just not happening. And all of a sudden, something would click, and things would start changing, and we would look at each other and say, it's happening. It's happening. So everybody say this, it's happening. It, it is, it's happening. And it's called the breath and the fingerprints of God on something that we do as his, uh, as his stewards, as his servants, as his slaves, as his children. When we just do what he wants us to do, there's a moment, a moment, a moment when all of a sudden God says, you, you, you've been diligent, and it's happening. All right? And it's happening in our students. Let's keep moving. So Clark and Kelsey, just keep it up, man. Y'all are killing it. All right? You keep moving. We have a, a collegiate ministry, college and career ministry. And this is five years ago, we didn't have it, a collegiate ministry. We didn't have any college students that I'm aware of. If we were, they didn't come around very much. And so now we've got a college ministry, and Jeremy and Rachel Cox look after that. And they, they kill it. This is their activity sheet for the upcoming year. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the map. I mean, it's, it's having Thanksgiving dinner with the elderly. I'm in. 
All right? It's having Christmas party, passion conference, ski trips. It's going to Boston on missions. I mean, they're getting it. They're not just coming to church. They're not just uh, saying they're a part of a ministry. They're here. And, and not only that, they, they meet on Monday nights, about 30 or 35 of them, and, and they just have a small group, and they eat together and fellowship together. But it doesn't stop there. They show up on Sunday mornings. Early service, late service. They show up at Bible release time and serve Bible release time. They show up at 11B and feed homeless people. They got hearts that are on fire, and they're beautiful, okay? I, I'm not making this up. We have the most beautiful group of college girls I've ever seen in my life. If I was in my 20s, the Lord would lead me to this church. <laughs> and they're not just beautiful in appearance. They have beautiful spirits and personalities. You should get around them. They'll bless you. And these young men that are coming, man, they're pushing back and living for Jesus in a hard world. And so God is doing an amazing thing. And so Jeremy and Rachel, they're in Virginia on Thanksgiving with her mother. And keep it up, guys. It's making a difference. It's making a difference. Let's keep going. What about volunteers? All of those ministries, preschool, youth, preschool, children, youth, and college, all of those require volunteers, people who will come alongside and say, I don't want to lead the thing, but if you'll lead me, I'll follow and do whatever you need me to do. Here's what it looks like. Crowd control, teachers, singers, instrument players, people who cook food, people who serve food, people who clean up after the food, people who make videos and flyers and, and whatever it takes, no holds barred. And we have an amazing group of those. And from the pastor, I want you to know sometimes you feel unappreciated doing those tasks. You listen to the pastor. I love you. We need you. God sees you. He will bless you. And what you're doing is not insignificant. It is mighty and powerfully important to the kingdom. And just between me and you volunteers, there's some others that hadn't found that place yet. You just need to grab them by the hand and say, are you serving anywhere? And when they say no, you say, come on, you're with me. Because it's going to take more and more volunteers as we go. Here's another one I'm excited about, life groups. Life groups, is, it, it's, it's the uh, lifeblood of a, of a growing church. Because as a church grows larger, it begins to get a little disconnected. You don't know everybody. Let me just go ahead and be honest. You don't know everybody. If you know everybody in here, stand up. That's what I thought. If you know most everybody in here, stand up. Don't lie. Yeah. You know why? Because we're all new. We're all new. I've been here. We've got senior adults been here for a long time. Most of us, few of us have been here for about five or six years. Most of us have been here less than three or four years. And so when you come in, you don't know anybody. Don't feel alone. They don't know you, and they don't know each other. I'd be, I can embarrass everybody in here. Tell me, the, everybody just sitting on your row. Everybody's like, don't ask me. Okay? Because it's new. And, and so small group helps, life groups help our large, grow, our large church grow smaller. And so you need to find a community. Oh, we've got one upstairs. How many of y'all have up there today? Grant, Caitlin, 25, 20-something, 20 okay? It's blowing up. They're going to have to go two services. I don't know what they're going to do, okay? I mean, it's, it's, you need to find one. It is amazing. All right, we have new ministries. We have the 11B ministry. It's a little over a year old, still flying high and doing great things in spite of what the enemy pushes back and tells us we can't do. It's still every week. It's, it's there, and it's happening. Uh, we started a brand-new ministry. Um, Howard's leading it for us, and it's a veteran-friendly congregation. I said in the announcement, if you're a veteran, you hadn't signed up, sign up today. I'm really excited about that one. We've got Tim Stallings has one. It's called Celebrate Freedom. Meets on Thursday night, helping people navigate through hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I mean, it, it, it's happening, and I don't go looking for them. The Lord sends them through somebody like Jason and some of these others that he just puts a burden and he, they bring it to me and I, I can feel the burden and I can feel the passion that's generated from God and I say let's do this thing because we're a church that comes alongside people who have a burden for a ministry women's ministry man I'm stoked about the women's ministry women do what women do man they come together and hang out and yeah 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 all that stuff man they do it good all right, and ours do, do it great. They go, they're traveling to conferences together. Uh, they're meeting together. I mean, you know, them women, they'll meet, they'll meet something to death because they want all the answers, okay? 
They're killing it and doing great. And women, the, the, the Christmas tea that's coming up, I hope you signed up. Because there's only one bit of bad news about the women's ministry. One of the greatest events of the year is the women's tea. happens in December. And there's only one problem with it. It did not grow one bit since last year. You know why? Because it can't. We're full. Another reason, we got to build a building. The new building, we're intentionally putting a flat floor so events like the women's tea, you can help put 100 tables over there. This one, you have about 35 tables. It's full. It cannot grow. There will be people who came last year that won't get to come this year because we just don't have room for them. Okay? Women's ministry is on fire, and they left the men behind, and that's why we started the men's ministry. Just be honest. We're a little bit jealous. Okay? And we have a simple rule we're going to teach our men. I have it with Kendra. And that is this. If women, when they think they're going to run off and leave us, we have a, we, we've simplified it. If Kendra decides one day she wakes up and says she's going to leave me, simple rule, I'm going with her. Okay? That's how, that's how we're going to roll. All right? And just like ministry, man, it took off like a rocket and left the men behind. But I'm proud to say one of the most exciting ministries we've just started is our men's ministry. And last week we met together over 70 men, omnivores. You know what that is? Meat-eating vegetable eaters. Okay? Plowed into some food, made some friendships, encouraged each other, had a good old time. I'm telling you we did. And the greatest part, we went right out there in that field, circled up, and prayed over all that God's doing in the life of our church and on that new building. And at the end, a friend of mine, Ed Gallion, said, Hey, leaders, let's put the, the pastors and leaders in the middle and let's pray over them. Man, they did. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit showed up in that field right there, and it was awesome. And I'm telling you, the men's ministry is going to move forward because I, I, see, I see it all the time. Men who have been on the perimeter, at a peripheral, taking a peripheral view of what God is doing, letting their wives do the, the work, letting the church do the work, and men are stepping out of the shadows into the light with a broken heart saying, listen, I have not been who God wants me to be, but he wants me to get in the game. How do I do it? Where do I go from here? And it's beautiful because women are vitally important to the kingdom. Do not hear this wrong. But when men become the men, when Christian men become men of God, it changes the complexion of the church, the community, and the nation and the world. And so that's what it looks like. So I'm excited. I, if I'm the only one, I don't even care. I will be excited because I know what a church can be. And you know what a church can be. And you see what a church is becoming. And the best is yet to come. And I'm here to tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. As good as what I just said is, the best is yet to come. Because God is on the move. And my job and your job is simply don't get in the way and don't mess it up. It means all of us rise up, become, become better in our life to, be, to have more integrity, to have more Christian character, to push back against the enemy at every time he shows his ugly face in our business, okay, and to handle ourselves as blood-bought children of the king of the universe whose name is Jesus. And when we do that, he will honor it. So what does that mean for each one of us moving forward? It means that we get to choose whether or not we're going to be engaged sacrificially or not. I was interviewed this week. Somebody called and said, I'm in school, I'm doing a class, and I was told to interview a visionary leader. And I said, did you call to see if I know one? And he said, no, I called to interview you. I said, okay. So one of the questions was this. In the last five years as a church revitalization, is there one thing above all that discouraged you most? And I said, that's funny you ask. Yeah, there was. He said, what was it? About two and a half years ago, the church was growing. And the Lord began to birth a vision for a new building of where he was going to take this church. And so I started talking to with a team, we put a team together, met with the architect, started doing drawings, and I made the comment from here, the spot, that ultimately if, if God keeps growing our church, we're going to have to build a building. Well, some of my friends that were Second Baptist, I found out, they told the pastor over there that he needed to have a talk with me, and I need to slow it down, because we weren't going to be building a building, Okay. So the pastor came to me, and he says, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, what? He said, they think I'm not assertive enough about vision. They said, you need to slow down. I said, so you know what I'm going to do? He said, what? I said, I'm going to keep on going. Okay? Now, at the first, it was a little discouraging because, you know, I, I wouldn't try, I'm not trying to build anything God doesn't want. I just want to be a part of everything he wants. 
And, and so, so I said, we're going to keep going. I said, I never said we're borrowing any money. I never said we're building a building. I said, if it keeps growing. Well, you know what? It has. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to build a building. Okay, because we must provide a place for God to continue to, to send the hearts and souls of families where they can get engaged with his kingdom agenda and move forward and fight the enemy. And so we're going to do this thing, and you get to choose whether or not you're going to get to be a part of it or not. So what does it take? Well, what does it take? What does it mean to, to be engaged sacrificially for something bigger than us, for this kingdom-sized project? project. It, it means that, that we make financial sacrifices. Now tell your neighbor, that, that includes you. Now I'm going to get you to say something else. When I start talking about money, this is the best, worst sermon topic of the year. Okay, Let me just go ahead and get you to confess what you're thinking in your heart. Everybody look up here. Everybody look up here, and, 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 and I want you to say, I hate when you talk about money. Just go ahead and tell me you're thinking it. Tell, tell me. You were a little, two of you is a little bit too zealous. Okay? I'll deal with you later. Okay? be a personal visit. All right? Yeah, say it again. I hate when you talk about money. Just say it. Because the more you say it, the more excited I get about talking about your money. All right? Listen, I'll tell you this. If you ever find yourself in a church, this one or otherwise, where the pastor, the preacher, doesn't talk about your money, he's a weenie. Okay? He's spineless, and he's robbing you of a blessing. Okay? The reason I talk about money, because this book talks about money. In fact, over 2,000 verses dealing with your money and your possessions. More than faith and prayer combined. Why? Why is he worried about money, your money, his money, which is in your pocket? Why is he more worried about that than he is prayer and faith? Because he knows if he can, if he can get you to surrender your finances, or his, your finances back to him to, from where they came, prayer and faith will come right along with it. He stands a better chance of you praying and having faith than he does you yielding and sacrificing your resources to him. So why is it the best, worst sermon subject of the year? Because for those people who give well, it's the best sermon subject. That's right, brother. It's the truth, man. I get it. And if you're not a giver, you're like, it's the worst subject. So let me go ahead and tell you, no matter where you're at on the giving spectrum, think about your countenance. Just raise your eyebrows. Be excited as if you give 25% of everything you've ever had. If not, it might get, the cat might get out of the bag and everybody, yeah, he don't give. Look at him. He's getting ready to you know, throw, a, throw a rock at the preacher. Okay. I just want you to know what God's Word says about your finances. I say it all the time. I would not do anything intentionally to hurt you or your family or this church. I will tell you everything I know. I'll share everything that God births and burdens in my heart to help you as an individual, your family, and this church experience all that God wants from you and this church. Because it's, when we do that, it's beautiful. And, 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 and I've been to the School of Hard Knocks. And uh, I've messed some things up a lot, and I don't pretend to have all the answers and have it all figured out. But when it comes to financial resources, I can show you what God's Word says because He's very, very clear about where He stands. You see, in this very room today, there's different philosophies and different um, actions regarding our position um, about finances. There are people who have very little, and yet they give very big. There are people who have very little and yet they give very little there are people who have much and they give much there are people who have much and they give little there are people who have an average amount and they give about an average amount there are people who have an average amount and they give less than average and there's people who give who have an average amount and they give below uh, an average amount no matter one of you are one of those you give how you give and it is what it is. The question is, is God satisfied with where you're at on the giving spectrum? Is he satisfied? Not, are you satisfied? Not, is the preacher satisfied? I, I'm satisfied with all of you. You know how, you know why? Because I don't know what anybody gives. I know what I give. Occasionally, well, excuse me, regularly, people miss the offering. They give me their check. I don't notice that or pay any attention to that. I give it to Tim, put it in the safe, give it to Carol. I don't, so I pretend like all of y'all give everything. 
I'm looking at, I'm looking at people who are sacrificial, man. Y'all giving 25% of everything. Now, that's a lie, but that's the way I pretend because I, I don't want you to hurt my feelings. Okay, I don't want to look at somebody and be proud of you because you give more than the rest. I don't want to look at somebody that's faithful and yet not faithful in finances and be disappointed in where you're at financially. So I don't want to know. I just want to know that at the end of the day, God's satisfied with my sacrifice and my gift. And he's satisfied with moving you to a place where he wants you to be as well. Giving to greatness. Giving to greatness. Okay, I'm going to cover two points and we're done. We'll finish next week. First, number one, availability of his great resources. The availability of his great resources. This goes back to big God, little me. This goes back to everything comes from God. Everything is God, and we are just his stewards. We are managers of what is really already his, and his resources are infinite. They are infinite. Now, listen to what uh, C.S. Lewis said, great author. Christian author, he says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you would not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. That is powerfully true. If you gave everything you had, your resource, your life, your, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, if you gave every minute of every day to him, you would not give him anything that is not already his. You see, but what we do sometimes, we change our approach to understanding who we are, how we are, and what we have. And we think it's our own ability, our own self-sufficiency, our own self-supportive nature that has generated all that we have. But I want to tell you, when it comes to God's economy, the difference is it's not affected by the things of this world. Uh, with God, there's never a shortage. With God, there's never a recession. There's never an exchange rate or devaluing. There's never a political agenda to affect it. There's never, never a Federal Reserve gold value. There's never a New York Stock Exchange that affects the resources and the availability of resources from our God. He is above that. He is beyond that. And, and when we understand that, we can trust him more. You see, there's a lot of people in this world, in the Christian community part of this world, who would say, yeah, boy, I sure do trust God with my eternal condition. He saved me. The Bible says he's preparing a heaven for me. One day I'm going to be there. We trust him with our eternal condition that he would ransom and rescue our soul, but we're afraid to trust him with our resources. And it's a little upside down. Because if you can trust him with your forever you, you ought to be able to trust him with the stuff that's in your hands every day. Amen. Now, just to let you know it's all his anyway, tell your neighbor it's all his. Now tell your neighbor you're his too. Now whether you're lost or saved, whether you follow Jesus or reject his grace, you're still his. He owns you. All right. Now listen how I know this. Scripture weighs in. Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The Lord owns the earth and all it contains, the world and all who live in it. <laughs> That's pretty much all in in inclusive. He owns everything. Okay? He says it of himself. Not only that, Genesis 1, go back to the creation account and look at how we got here and look at what he provided to sustain us here. It says, God created. He created you. It says, human, this is chapter 1, verse 27. God created humankind in his own image. In his own image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Created, created, created. You are a made being at the fingertips and the desire of an almighty, eternal God. The reason you are here is not because your mommy and your daddy came together to be part of procreation. You are here because God ordained and designed and implemented a plan for him to get, for him to get you here with a purpose and one day to spend eternity with you in Jesus' name. It's bigger than the way we look at things. So he created it. That makes it his. 28, God blessed them and said to them, now be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. He says, not only am I giving you you, I'm giving you everything else to sustain and support and to help you. 
All the animal kingdom, everything in the world, I'm giving it to you. He said, so I, I, I gave you you, now I'm giving you everything to sustain you. Verse 29, then God said, I now give you every seed-bearing plant. He said, I'm going to give you something else. We go down here and he says, they will be yours for food. At the very end of verse 30, he says, I give you every green plant for food, and it was so. He says, I'm giving you you. I'm giving you everything you need to be you. I'm giving you everything there is that I have. I'm making myself available to you. And he said, and it's all a gift. And remember what he said in Psalm? He says, I own everything. So he owns you. You were bought with a price. He purchased you. He owns you, created you, and watched you mess up and become sinful and rebellious against God and then choose to buy you back. That's the beauty of God's ownership of that which he has created. Deuteronomy, sometimes what we do is we wake up and we say, well, I hear what you're saying, Brother Joel, but uh, I'm pretty good. I made straight A's in school because I applied myself, studied hard to get that 4-0. Got me a scholarship, went to college, 4-0 in college, went and got a master's degree, and now I've arrived and I'm making good money, and I have to work hard every day. So it's kind of on me. I mean, it's kind of on me what I have and my resources. You just keep on telling yourself that. Okay, and I'll tell you what God's word says about that. God's word says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17, Be careful not to say, My own ability and skill have gotten me this wealth. You must remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives the ability to get wealth. If you do this, he will confirm his covenant that he made, with, with, made by oath to your ancestors, even as he has to this day. You know what he just said? The reason you have the ability you have is because I gave it to you you got a lot of gray matter floating around in that skull of yours letting you get straight A's? Yeah, he gave it to you. If you're like me and i got less gray matter than the rest of you, he gave that much to me. It's all on him. If I do good, it's his fault. If I do bad, it's his fault because he gave me what I got. All I can do is the best I can do with what it is he gave me, but at the end of the day, he gave it to me. Okay, now we're to be stewards of that. We're supposed to be managers of that. We're supposed to let him develop all of that in our life. But at the end of the day, the, when I was building houses and making great money building houses, it was because he gave me the ability to see something that was not as if it was and do what it takes to get it there. That's what construction looks like. When I was in sales, he gave me the, the ability to talk. <laughs> Don't you amen that? Okay. I, I, so I could sell something because I could talk. I love people. I love Jesus. He put a friendly heart in me, and so people would embrace me. And before you know it, they just, whatever I tell, they'd buy it. It's just the truth. I, I didn't have, God gave me that. The reason I could sell something, the reason I could build something is because God wired me to sell something and build something. The reason I'm a preacher, it's not because I have this memorized. It's not because I have it all figured out. It's not because I'm brighter than the rest of you. It's because God created me, formed me, gifted me, invested in me, and called me to preach, and that's what I do. And when those things align, and we align ourselves, understanding that it's all His anyway, He'll breathe on it, whisper on it, and make things happen. Okay? Now, it's all his. So we have availability of the great resources. Number two, we have a responsibility for his great resources. A responsibility. This means a care, the development, the enjoyment, um, the deployment of all that he's given us. We're responsible for that. Now, listen to me. I'm not responsible for any of you. I'm responsible for telling you the truth. I'm held responsible for that. I'm responsible for me and what I do with his resources. I am not responsible for you. And some days I wish I was responsible for you and not me, okay? But, but I'm, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for me and you're responsible for you. Now, as we, when we think about this, we have to re be reminded that God's, they're all God's possessions and he's going to do great by his possessions. His ROI, his return on investment is always greater than yours ever will be. See, sometimes we want to invest, we want to play the stock market, we want to do this or that or the other thing. Meanwhile, God's over here and say, if you will invest your resources from where they came from, and that's me, I'll honor it, I'll bless it, and your return will be greater than any place else that you could possibly invest your resources. So, how do I, wh why is this significant? All right, ready? Put your steel toe, those steel toe boots, you're in trouble. Okay. Most of us are not good, are not responsible with what God has given us. Most of us. Tell your neighbor he might be talking about you. Okay. Some of y'all, I don't want to say that. Okay. 
Yeah, most of us are not responsible. We're not good stewards. How do I know? Is that judgmental? No, it's statistics. You see, there's a principle called the Pareto Principle. The Pareto analysis, the Pareto principle says 80-20. 80% of the people do uh, 20% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 80% of the people uh, give 20% of the resources, and 20% of the people give 80% of the, of the resources. I mean, it's upside down. And, and so here's what that looks like, just so you'll know. Okay, if I gave you a penny when you came in, if you'll stand up for me. Okay. All right, now let me get you get the person sitting next to you, spouse, friend, neighbor, whatever, have them stand up. Because you represent giving units in our church, okay? And, and, and our church is a little better than 80-20 according to Tim. Tim, who takes care of all of our resources, he's executive pastor, I don't know. I, I just asked him, I said, what does it look like who are faithfully giving about 10% of the income? Just a guess. And he said, uh, probably 30%. It's a little better than the national average, okay? And did you forget you had a penny? Oh, they loaned you a penny. Oh, right there, right there. you with her. Yeah, y'all together. Okay, just popped up there. Bing, bong. I said, like, what is that? Squirrel. Okay, now, now here's what this means. Church, I want you to look around. This, our church is about a 30-70 split. 30% of the people give 70% of the resources, and about 30% of our people do about 70% of the work. It's just the nature. It's real. And, and don't, don't, nobody get your feelings hurt and say the preacher's, you know, stepping on your toes or whatever. Uh, because I'm going to show you something in just a second. So everybody that's sitting down, let's show some applause for the people who are paying the bills. <laughs> I just want to tell all of you that's standing up, thank you for paying my salary. Thank you. This morning when I came in, the heater was on. Man, thank you. The lights are on. Thank you for letting me ride on your coattails while you give big. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Now, that represents the people who give. Now, let me explain giving. These people are giving in excess of 10% of their income. Now, let me just explain. When, when, if somebody were to come to you and say, hey, are, do you tithe? Here's the answer to the question. At the end of the year, if 10% of your income went to the church, you tithe. In other words, if you made $50,000 this year as a family and you get a charitable contribution statement from the church and $5,000 was your gift, you are a tither. A tithe is simply, it means a number, 10%. That's it. If you gave $4,000, that's awesome, but you weren't a tither. You were a giver. If you gave 50 bucks, you weren't a tither. You're a giver. Not a very good one. Uh, then, then, the next level giving is called sacrificial giving. Now, here's what's amazing about it. Those people that just stood up in this church, it meant as an average, they gave $8,750 a year. So thank you all for being big givers. Now, if you didn't have a penny, if you didn't just stand up, I want you to stand up. If you, did, if you weren't standing up before, I want you to stand up now. Now, isn't it good to know that you're keeping company with the masses? Some of y'all thought, I'm going to be the only one. Okay, no, no. Uh, you can look around, okay? This is what the rest of the Christian community looks like in terms of giving. This is the 80% that give the 20%. So you all gave an average of $1,607. That's what the average looks like. Now, there's a huge disparity there. Isn't that amazing? And yet it's real. It's real here. If you get mad and say, well, I'm going down to Wallace Memorial, it'll be the same down there. I'm going over here to One Life. You can go on over there. They, they know better. This is real. This is what it looks like. But I'm telling you, God doesn't like this. I'm telling you there's a blessing waiting for the 80% who are given the 20% when they simply take a step of faith walk and yield their resources to God. He will honor it. He will bless it. And he will take your resources to a new place that you've never experienced and sometimes even thought possible. And so for all, the, all of you that's sitting down, Wave at the people standing up and say, I'm glad I could do it. Just wave and say, I'm glad we could be there for you. Okay? All right, you can be seated. I want to encourage you a little bit and say, in the Christian community in America, the average gift in a Christian home in America is 2.5% of the income. It's way off from biblical principle. And listen, if you're a person who has been taught that the tithe is the Old Testament, you just keep believing that. Okay, Tithing was before the Old Testament. A tithe was given to Melchizedek before the Scripture was given. And if you say, yeah, but I'm not under the Old Testament. I'm under grace. Come see me. I'll show you 2 Corinthians. It's called grace giving. I'll show you Acts where they gave everything they had so everybody might have some. 
And when I start telling you what New Testament grace giving looks like, you will want to be a Hebrew in the Old Testament because 10% is a whole lot easier. Even Hebrew 23% because it's taxes and everything. So I'm not telling you anything that's difficult before God. I'm telling you God extends a blessing in our obedience. And, and sometimes what we do is we look around and we say, well, I see, I see old Steve over there. I know he makes money. Man, he makes a lot of money, that guy. If I had as much money as he had, I would give more. You know you've thought that sometimes. Oh, if I had as much money as this lady over here, I'd give more. That's a lie. Statistically, that's a lie. Here's why. Because 10% of a dollar and 10% of $10 and 10% of a million is not a matter of a dollar sign. It's a matter of a heart. And I'm telling you, if you're not faithful with a dollar, you won't be faithful with a million. I have people from time to time, boy, if I won the lottery, man, I'd give half of it to the church. And then people say, would you take that money? I say, yes, I would. It's called money laundering. You take it from the devil, you put it in the kingdom. Okay? Yes, I'll take it. I don't encourage, I don't encourage lottery tickets, but if you buy one and win, you better bring half. Okay? You can show some love on the preacher if you want to, too. All right? You wouldn't give more if you made a million than you do at a hundred. How do I know? Because statistically, here's what is true. According to a 2015 Share Faith survey, people with a salary of less than $20,000 are eight times more likely to give than someone who makes $75,000. Isn't that incredible? I know what it's like to live on $20,000. And it was in 1985. We're not in 1985. And the more you make, the less you want to give. It's human nature. Jesus gave us 2,000 verses about our resources. Less than on faith, more than on faith and prayer combined. Because he knows that the love of money, not money, but the love for it, is the root of all evil and he knows if he can capture our heart to where we trust him with our resources he can trust us with the rest of us and so it's a big deal and I know some of you are thinking pastor you don't know where I'm at I'm in a hard spot financially it's all I can do to make it I got less bills in my pocket than I got bills coming in the mailbox. I got more month than I do money. I, I don't know that I can give. I want to encourage you right now. All of us have been in those shoes. And I want you to know if you will simply listen to the Holy Spirit and do what He tells you to do, He'll move you and He'll walk you out of that place that you're in and he'll take you to a place of blessing where it'll change your financial complexion. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that it's real. And maybe you're here today and you think, I'll watch these people come in here. They got it all together and their finances are all good. and They've got money in their pocket. and I'm wondering how I'm going to feed my family this afternoon. I want you to know you're keeping good company. I'm going to read a few ideas, a few statements. And if this is ever applied to your life, at the end I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you've ever worried about paying a bill, if you've ever had your utilities cut off, if you've ever been late on a car payment, if you've ever filed bankruptcy on a mortgage, if you've ever slid that nasty card and it ringed up declined or insufficient funds, if you've ever argued with your spouse about money, I want you to stand up. Now, you're keeping good company, right? You can be seated. God wants to move us to a different place. He's challenging us to give it a different level, every single one of us. And I'm not a preacher up here stands like I've got it, stands up here acting like I've got it all together, hadn't messed things up. And I'll close with this story. And then I'm going to tell you how you can yield all that to God. 1985, I took a job in Chattanooga as a, a supervising engineer. 
And uh, I was right out of college. I was single. And I was making $21,500 a year. And uh, I bought a brand new car. Man, it was nice. Z28. Man, it was cool. Man, it was fast. And man, was it stupid. My car payment was $305 a month in 1985. My rent was $175. I, didn't, I told you I wasn't the brightest bulb on the tree. And you've played that part of stupid before too. You know what that looks like, okay? But my heart was trying to be right. And, and on weekends, I would drive back to Tennessee to see my fiance Kendra. And I'd go to church. And I remember putting a tithe check in the offering plate. And went, felt good about myself. Went back to school, uh, back to work. Came back the following Sunday, and the treasurer of the church came to me, and he said, "Hey, Joel, I need to talk to you." I said, "Yo, what's up?" He had his check, my check, and he goes, "Your check didn't go through." Now let me just tell you, you can bounce a check off the guy you bought a used sofa from. You bounce a check off Jesus, you feel like you're going to hell right now. I'm telling you, you should. But then he said this. He said, listen, everybody messes up sometimes. And he said, and I know you were given because you wanted to give, and it was just a little upside down. And I, he said, and you just work on that a little bit, it'll all get cleaned up. Well, from best of my knowledge, I've never bounced a check off Jesus again. Okay, I'm a quick learner on that one. And I'll tell you that story to tell you this. I walked away defeated and crushed, but at the same time, encouraged because he helped me realize my heart was right. My finances were a joke. And we hadn't gotten it right ever since, but we've been faithful in giving. And I don't care to tell you, our goal for next year is to give about 25% of our income to the church. That's, I'm not giving you a number, I'm just telling you that's what it looks like because, because you can't outgive God. He has ultimate availability, and we simply have responsibility. And if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to challenge you. You and your spouse, your family, just take your finances to the Father. And just say, here is all I have, and here is all that I don't have. I trust you with me. And I trust you with everything you've given me. Take it, bless it, and help me move forward being sacrificial, being responsible for all that you've given me. And I'll give you the praise and the glory and the thanksgiving for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.